Well, hello, everybody. It's Friday, and it's time for another Marketing Agility podcast. Roland, how are you? I'm doing great, despite the fact that I have a head cold. Well, we'll try to keep the podcast simple today. We didn't record one last week, and we didn't have a guest today, so we thought, you know what? Let's get some things off our chest. Exactly. I've been doing some thinking. You have? I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. Occasionally, I get a few minutes to do that. It's hard to believe, having a day job and a family and all that, that you have time to think and ruminate, but... What's on your mind today? Well, you know, a lot of the time uh, when I'm thinking, it sort of ends up being notes that end up culminating in a blog post. So I actually had time to write a blog post and to revisit a topic that I feel like comes up a lot on with our with our guests, but also a topic that I think is kind of a central idea that I try to tackle in my book. And but you know, it's one of these things where after the book is out there. I keep talking about it. I keep hearing new ideas. And so I wanted to share some of the the things that aren't in the book that have come up and that I think are really, really relevant about how, how to scale Agile into the enterprise. Awesome. Well, it's an objection, right? That was the word you used in your blog post. Yeah, well, I think, right. Well, I think the, I hear the objection a lot in terms of, I hear marketers who are trying to implement agile get those objections from their management mm-hmm. and you know i i i think just in the media as agile gets more and more coverage which it definitely is i don't know if you noticed but there was a really great harvard business review piece that just came out on agile sure um so i think that harvard business piece really actually talks about scaling because they recognize that as one of the primary objections to using Agile, and they try and um, tackle it a little bit. I think there's kind of a lot to this topic, and I see it popping its head up in lots of different places. So uh, one thing that we talked about with one of our previous guests was the Google OKR framework, mm-hmm. which I think is related to this problem. The other thing that I think is worth talking about is some work that's being done by Henrik Nyberg, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, um, who is a, an Agile consultant. He's done a lot of work with Spotify. So we shared in a previous show note some reference documentation and some, some articles about what Spotify is doing to scale their work. He recently did a presentation at a conference called GoTo. And mm-hmm. it's focused on sca- scaling Agile in the development context. But I think there's a lot of clues in there that uh, point to where marketers might go when it comes to scale. Right. Well, how do we do as marketers? I think the challenge being that so much of what we do in marketers, I think one of our earliest guests, David Meerman Scott, was saying, gee, a lot of us marketers are raised in this camp war, going to war campaign kind of mentality. And I think a lot of big, bigger organizations, well, even smaller organizations still, I mean, my company, we have an annual budget. We revise it mm-hmm. twice a year. We have board meetings every eight weeks. And you know, there's still these kind of, this annual cadence, this uh, planning, planning and delivering cadence that we as marketers have to live within. We have annual budgets. Yeah, I mean, until we start operating, or until our until our CFOs start operating the finance department more like a bank. Yeah, we're going to be in an environment where we do have to propose annual budgets. I guess which until, is yeah, until yeah. investors, professional, until the investment community, the market decides it can live without quarterly earnings reports and annual reports. Well. I don't know if I would take it that far. I mean, I think you can still operate like a bank and still be a, you can still provide 
quarterly and annual projections. I think it just, you know, banks do do that, right? Banks are constantly lending money out to entrepreneurs starting businesses and established businesses that are trying to scale. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, all of those businesses don't necessarily know that they're going to need to raise money to grow or to take on some new, new initiative. And so I don't, I don't see an inherent conflict there. I think for me, it's more of a cultural change and how you manage a transition from this traditional model to a new model. And to be frank, I think the finance thing is probably going to be the hardest transition to make, but but it is this backbone that puts marketers and even product management in a tough position because yeah. it doesn't fit with what we are doing. It doesn't fit with what we were taught, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing I wonder about. I mean, developers, they've really embraced Agile. And yes. I look at in the open source community that my day job, we belong to, um, continuous integrate continu- product is is we have a continuous integration framework and mm-hmm. every day the code is kind of pushed is automatic pushed up to github you know it's i think a lot of the development folks or even it teams are used to daily releases or really much more frequent releases than we ever used to have i just always think that 20 some or 18 years ago when i started in the software business it was we were very much in the traditional, okay, every nine to 12 months, we're going to do version uh, X dot Y. <laughs> and yeah. it, was a, it was this waterfall of waterfall processes you could think about, the three months of specking, the three months of developing, and the three months of QA and, and launching. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think you're right. To some degree, product management still probably has to put together. You know, I was thinking in terms of you know, product marketing is still thinking about MRDs and Product management mm-hmm. is thinking about PRDs, but yeah, what I think one one sort of intermediary step though that I see happening, I certainly see it happening in the marketing world. My assumption is that it's also happening in product management, is that as marketers um, get more agile, the reality is amongst colleagues amongst themselves are actually willing to trade budget, and so huh. that's how they're like even without the supervision or the fr- a framework provided by the CFO where they're operating more like a bank where there's where you know you're saying in Q2 hey we've got this new initiative that came up that we want to do let's evaluate that opportunity right now when when the information about that opportunity is fresh rather than you know trying to tell you a year in advance and give you this information which by the time we make that investment is just going to be out of date so what i see happening is that you know, I have an opportunity come up that's unexpected. Well, it turns out that um, a colleague of mine has an opportunity that thought he thought he was going to do, but it just evaporated for whatever reason. It just didn't happen. And so then we have an opportunity to basically say, well, hey, well, I've got this thing that's high ROI. And, you know, are you willing to shift the budget over here? And I think, you know, that's a hard thing for a marketer or someone's colleague yeah. to do because they're sort of saying, well, do I want to give up the money? But the, <laughs> the primary, but here's the thing, the primary driver for them is not actually about shifting the money over to you. It's that they're going to lose that yes. budget for the long yeah. term. Yeah. Cause that's and the so, way we were all raised. It's use it or lose it. Yeah. Right. And so if 
like forget the CFO for a second. Like if you can just establish that approach to working with your direct colleagues, then you can actually start implementing this without having to have the sort of top level management oversight. So you're thinking the CFO's office as like the internal venture capitalists. You know, they're looking for investment opportunities. They're looking for ways to with some things with potential outsized returns. Or maybe a commercial banker maybe is a better metaphor. Yeah, there's a guy that I interviewed for my book named Biart, who is, um, he's been sort of a thought leader in this thing called the Beyond Budgeting Movement, which is all about applying Agile to the finance world. <clears throat> I believe he's a pretty senior, um, he's, he's pretty senior in the finance group at um, Statoil, mm-hmm. which is a giant, you know, Scandinavian oil company, so right. a very traditional company. But, you know, it's one of these things where if they can start doing it in that environment, and I feel, again, it's one, of the, it's one of these things where you start seeing more and more content coming to market, I think this is going to gain traction over time. And I think it's especially going to gain traction over time as they see colleagues amongst themselves basically behaving in this way. And then, because that annual plan just becomes, it's something that we create, but we actually don't believe in. It's just something that yeah. we do as a matter of process, Right. Well, always the challenge with that is that there is a term that I've used, the waterfall overlay. You know, there's this kind of in my marketing budget, uh, venture, small venture fund and startup, so maybe I'm not a great example, but there's a certain amount of my budget, which is I turn the lights on January 1st, and it's kind of, I know what it's going to be. I yes, know sure. I've got a PR firm on retainer. I know I mm-hmm. have um, certain commitments for just infrastructure and overhead stuff, and that takes up 40 or 50% of my budget. Yes. Or 60% of my budget, some number like that. And I think most, it's probably not uncommon for a lot of marketing teams to have that kind of baseline commitment. Definitely. That's certainly the way it is in my world, too. And yep. that's waterfall. That's not going away. That's not going to change until we start. I don't know that my PR firm's going to go to waterfall. I mean, go to agile. I mean, they certainly, we, they, they're a part of my sprint planning process and they scrum along with us on a regular basis. But I guess it comes back to the conversation we had a few weeks ago with the, the gentleman talking about um, Diff Julie and talking about sprint-based pricing and mm-hmm. points per dollars per story point and stuff. But I think fundamentally when I'm budgeting, I'm still doing an annual budget and we revise it in June. And it's the stuff on the margin that is certainly agile. Yeah, I like to refer. I like to refer to that as my discretionary budget. Yeah, well, that's what people that's call the, it, <laughs> right? That's certainly what people call it. So, come back to your original point about planning. I always, excuse me, my planning approach has often been I like to create this kind of one-page marketing plan, which looks an awful lot in retrospect. The way you, it's funny because I remember seeing you had shared that OKR video from Google, which I saw back in 2012 when it first came out, and looking at it again, it makes me think in terms of how close what I've been doing was, I've done it probably since 2006, 2007, where I get individuals on the team to create these documents based upon their own group with annual and quarterly commitments in them. And then, but keep them very lightweight because it's the framework for which you're planning. I don't care about the absolute details. I care more about the framework and I care more about the macro level stuff. As long as I, I kind of feel like the philosophy from the philosophy and high level strategy that that's kind of guide them in I hate to use the word cheesy word vision but something that at least aligns everyone from yeah. there the details almost kind of get in my way. Well, I think the OKR framework goes a long way to 
combat some of the disconnect that I was just mm -hmm. talking about between mm -hmm. my group, let's say, and senior management when it comes to planning, that I can be operating in one way and they can be operating in this very different way. And I think we right. can find ways of making that work. But I think what the OKR framework does is it provides a means of providing alignment between those two different groups. So um, just, you know, for those listeners who aren't as familiar with the OKR framework, you should definitely watch the video. I mean, I, I feel like I could watch this thing probably at least once a year to refresh um, myself on, on the practice. But it, the way that it works is that it starts actually with the company defining the top objectives and then a set of key results that are going to help measure whether or not that objective was met. And then cascading down from those objectives, the group or the team produces their own OKR, and then individuals create their own OKRs that sit underneath that. And presumably, the, like, the way that it should work is that you know the individual should understand clearly and be able to validate that their OKRs roll up to the team OKR, and the team OKRs roll up to the company OKRs. And you know part of that is requires that OKRs are, are shared publicly and transparently within the company, right? That's a very agile concept in and of itself. And so it, I think it, it can be this very, very powerful tool for, for driving alignment. What, what, what's interesting is that in, in my blog post, I was comparing the OKR framework to the, the SAFE framework, which stands for Scaling Agile Framework, which is a, that's a framework which is used in the product management or development context. It's highly structured as a framework. It's very prescriptive. And it's got all sorts of practices designed to keep alignment between the implementation team and the executive team. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just got this over, I think for most marketers, it would be an overwhelming amount of yeah. practice. Yeah. For the same reason, like a marketer just, I don't, most marketers are not in a position to really adopt certainly at the beginning, a very rigorous um, interpretation of Scrum yeah. as a method, right? Correct. And so I see OKRs as kind of like a marketing-friendly interpretation of this safe framework that's being used in development. I, I definitely agree with you about the overhead part of it because I, I definitely see most of the people, at least the people I've talked to over the years in the podcast and even beyond that, myself included, I, I think that I, I spoke at a conference last week in Maine, the Agile Maine conference, and they did a one day. It was about 150 people, and these guys were purists. I mean, there were a lot of – this was IT departments at big insurance mm -hmm. companies and banks up there. and They were talking about massive Agile – massive agile implementations across all of IT or across all of product. And part of my, I was the token marketer at the conference and it was entertaining, but I said, you know, what I do probably you wouldn't consider to be agile. And it was funny, the responses I got, because I did two talks, actually. I did my talk and then I, an hour later, I did the same talk to a different audience. And, and one guy, a couple, it was interesting the responses I got. And one of the guys said, well, he said, I'm kind of tired of all the fanatics and all the dogma said the truth mm -hmm. of the matter is that the core principles and the core philosophy of the way is of what you're doing is agile the working in small blocks and embracing the uncertainty and, and a whole lot of those things yeah you may not have every tactic down you may not do every tactic but um, the truth of the matter is you're not certainly not waterfall what you're doing and i thought i thought that was interesting but you've heard me say this before Roland. the dominant design for the way that marketers are using agile has not yet emerged and it's emerging, 
And I find things like the, the Google framework and the safe framework really kind of interesting. Me too. I mean, I, maybe the safe framework is the way that developers approach this is to come from the more prescriptive side, like that's their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. But e even within this presentation that um, Henrik and Lars do at GoTo, you know, they talk about openly this idea of breaking out of the prescriptive nature of, of the uh, method. They actually talk a little bit about this, this framework, which they refer to as the Shuhari framework. I'm not sure if you've heard of that before, but and I saw um, it in the post, but I had yeah, it's it's you know broke it. Shu stands for stage one is following the rules. Ha is adapt the rules, and Ri is break the rules. And so I think like even in the development context, they recognize they start from highly prescriptive. Uh, a place because I think maybe that's where they're most comfortable because it's really clear and there's no room for conflict or misinterpretation. But mm -hmm. then they sort of gravitate towards, well, we need to tailor this thing, tailor the method to our team to make it work. Well, I think marketers have that same thing. I just think we tend to come from, and marketers and maybe business people too, we just tend to, our comfort zone is not a highly prescriptive right. base to start with. It's like, well, I guess it depends on the kind of company you're in and the culture your organization is, though. I would imagine I'm going to use a big company, small company stereotype that having worked in some larger organizations, there was a lot of comfort in the organization in knowing what the process is and who the approver is and the decider mm -hmm. is and what the process <laughs> is. Whereas in being in a startup software company, we're breaking the rules pretty much every day and because I mean, we don't know what we don't have a lot of operating history and we don't know for yeah. certain what's going to get us to the promised land so we're trying to learn and adjust and learn and adjust every day i'm curious what were the folks in maine what was the feedback that they had for you just in general about a marketer taking on agile were they was that did you sense like that was going to be a bridge for them i was curiosity i think more than anything i mean there were 150 people at the event and i think i had 20 people in the first group and 15 in the second. So first group, half the room were marketers. Second, and then the second group was almost no marketers. So there were very, very, very few marketers. And I think what it ended up being is that there were a number of companies like Unum and the big traditional main companies that had sent clusters of people to this event. And there were a few stray marketers who came along. But I think it was more of a curiosity than anything else. And just my general observation that they're so far along the maturity curve. The conversations were much more like I learned in business school. You know, the soft stuff is the hard stuff, almost organizational behavior stuff. Like what if the organization's against the idea, but no one will actually state it. And, you know, there are people who are actively subverting, <laughs> doing things to actively subvert the process. Or, you know, it's just very interesting because you know how it is in big companies. There are always people who think, oh, this is a fad. This will blow over. <laughs> yep. Because it, sometimes it can be a fad. And working in a larger companies, we've all seen those fads come and go. So it was a very interesting array of and the interpersonal yeah. dynamics which we're facing. I mean, the conversations that we would have if we had the equivalent conference would be like, how do I convince my skeptical team to even think about it? Or how do I pick a project to even start? These companies, right. you know, these companies had big initiatives which came down from the CIO or the CTO and they said, we are going agile. 
and they had they'll have an army of well, I mean army army is an exaggeration. They might have a half a dozen agile coaches inside helping the teams. And that was the one thing I've observed from these Agile meetups. We did one in Boston with the Agile New England group, and it was full of product managers, and the room, probably a third of the room were scrum coaches, you know, Agile coaches. And I forget that you know, that ecosystem doesn't exist in marketing. Those people don't exist yet in marketing. Right. Well, there are a handful of, there are, it's interesting, there are a handful of consultancies. You know, you, we've talked, we have some friends at CNG, we've had Barry on, and yeah. those guys are trying, and I'm sure that BCG and others didn't just write these reports out of the goodness of their heart. I'm right, sure now they're getting into it. Yep, yeah, certainly. Absolutely. I'm sure because two directions, I'm sure they see an opportunity, but I imagine they're probably getting questions from their clients as well, and they're all just trying to figure it out. So it still comes back to the fact that we are so early. I used your chart rule and I gave you credit. I realized I, as I was doing it, I made sure I gave you credit. The, the Google Trends chart, which shows agile marketing, that the, the keyword really sloping up and then, but yeah. then put it next to content marketing and it's barely a blip. So yeah, <laughs> it's a great chart. It's a great chart because it's a nice build. You, know, you show the first one and you go, isn't this awesome? We're doing great. And then you go, well, I guess everything in life is relative. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it, it comes back to the this objection about it doesn't scale is really yeah. actually just a part of a a battery of objections to yeah. cultural change, right? Because people are highly invested in some of the existing models. I think, you know, companies like BCG and McKinsey, it's yes, they see the opportunity. I think the other thing, though, is that I think they do recognize that if their customers don't start adopting this stuff, mm -hmm. they're going to get disrupted. Right. And so it's also them saying, we need to help our customers survive or else we're going to have to get a new customer. And we'd rather have it, keep an existing customer going than get a new customer. You know, you and I could talk for probably an hour and a half like we sometimes do on our cell phones. Yep. Um, just out there, in recent weeks, we've gotten some inbound emails from people inquiring to be speakers on the podcast. You're going to hear a few of them in coming weeks, which is pretty exciting. Um, just a reminder, we are on iTunes. I said it again, Roland. Am I allowed to say that? I you guess, are. I guess they're not listening. If they're listening, they're going to bust me on it, but otherwise. Uh, otherwise, if you want to be on again, you get Roland at rsmartly on Twitter or myself at tangyslice on Twitter. And uh, you can find old podcasts again on iTunes or at agilemarketingblog.com. Well, Roland, thanks again. This was a fun conversation. We need to find Definitely. a way to have these breaks once in a while. So Agree. Thanks great. for suggesting it. All right, great. Well, thanks again, everyone, and uh, stay agile.